From those in the know to those who need to know, this is the Indie Weekly Podcast. As we've been in this weird COVID kind of space, we've moved everything online. We're doing these sessions. We do a weekly session every Tuesday at four. But the overall theme has been education for artists and those in our community, how to build better business while we're in this weird space so that we come out on a more positive sense and ready. And especially when things are getting pushed into this digital world. We've been talking today metaverses, we've just talked about holograms, and often the big kind of question is, are we losing touch with humans and such? Is it getting too tech? But also, uh, what does it mean to build something that's meaningful and positive? And for me, I really think that this is a time like no other, that we can build spaces that are more accessible than ever before. I know we've seen our audience grow in age from younger to older. Meaning uh, we had stuff in venues, which meant liquor, which meant no minors. Now that's not a barrier. We've had venues where there's stairs and people couldn't access properly. Now that's not a barrier. And and really what I'm really excited about is just everybody is welcome. So with that, I'm going to hand the mic over to Kezia to uh, take it away for this session. So thank you again. Awesome. Thank you so much, Daryl. Thanks for having me. And uh, you're right, you know, we've been having some really great conversations over the last few days here at Screen by Screen. So uh, now we have an opportunity to talk about holistic, um, conscious thinking as we develop the online spaces that we're all in. Uh, just to introduce myself, my name is Kezia Myers. I am the Executive Director of Canada Advance, Canada's Black Music Business Collective. And I have been working in a organization that really looks at diversity and broadening the spectrum of uh, professionals within the music space specifically. That of course includes the online space. And so I'm really excited to have this conversation with the ladies here with me today and to really talk about and dive into uh, diversity, inclusivity, um, a, a broad many people who participate in creating online spaces and what that can look like and how that can benefit uh, the world as a whole. So I'd like to just have all of them introduce themselves and give a introduction of what they do and you know maybe why they're here or their thoughts um, as we participate into this con- and get into this conversation, starting with Amy Lemire. Thanks, Kezia. Um, my name is Amy Lemire. I'm managing partner of WXR Fund, and we invest in VR, AR, and AI companies that have at, less, at least one female on the leadership team. And that thesis is intentional because in this next wave of computing, be it metaverse or Web3, we want to make sure that there's more diversity in, in the system by the, by the companies that are that are startups today, but will be big tomorrow. Um, I also do on the side, uh, some angel investing, particularly in music tech. And I've um, written quite a few articles on the music space and what, what's happening in, in immersive music. It's, it's great to be here. Awesome, thanks so much, Amy. Uh, moving on to Christina. Hi, I'm Christina Sheldon. I'm a singer songwriter. I have um, a native heritage bloodline from the Dene um, Northwest Territories. And I also have a C4, C5 spinal cord injury. So I broke my neck 
and I know what it's like to live with a disability um, and try and do music <laughs> with a disability. So I guess that's part of the reason why I was asked uh, to join today and I'm really excited to be here. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Christina. And Robin. Um, so I'm a Métis Indigenous musician as well. I also have a Bachelor of Education and a Certificate of International Knowledge. So I really enjoy conversations about diversity, addressing white privilege and talking about racism as well. Wonderful. Uh, well, let's just dive right into it. Uh, you know, Robin, you actually just spoke about, you know, talking about diversity and white privilege. And, and in this online space, we know that so much has been programmed. The algorithms um, have systemic bias within them because of who has created them. Um, in many cases, those have not included others that are not cisgendered, not women, not people of color. So, you know, speak to us about what to you means diversity. Yeah, so I am very clearly a white presenting Indigenous person. Um, so in the past, a lot of my relatives and stuff weren't able to express their Indigenous identity because of a lot of uh, racism that they experienced. So to me, I am very, very proud of my heritage today because I am allowed to be proud of my heritage. Um, but I've also been on quite the journey to realize my own white privilege through my Bachelor of Education and that kind of thing. Um, and just to be embraced by the Métis and Indigenous um, groups around me has been the biggest contributing factor to feeling like I belong. So um, talking about white privilege is something that's super important to me. And I just... I think that a lot of people have to address that and a lot of these biases that they have about racism and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Amy and Christina? You know, what does diversity mean to you? Um, <laughs> go ahead, Christina. <laughs> I, well, definitely. Um, it, I mean, it is multifaceted, obviously. There, you know, you speak of... Um, gender and um, race and then disabilities. So I suppose I can speak mostly to um, the disability spectrum of things and how, um, at least when it comes to, to music, uh, a lot of people with disabilities, most venues aren't really set up for people with disabilities and never mind the stages. Uh, so most people like I, I know a lot of musicians who are in wheelchairs and we struggle to find a space to even to even perform. Um, so, yeah, diversity to me means um, just recognizing the barriers that are out there, looking for them, being open to them and and yeah, just trying to keep an open mind about how to change the, the problems that are there. Yeah, I'm, it's so glad to hear that diversity is being talked about in a broader perspective than just gender and race, although those are key components. Um, we can talk about age and size and economic class and, you know, like on and on and on. So um, even though WXR uh, focuses on, a, on the gender side, what in part our hope is, is by funding female founders that they themselves will be more open to diversity on a broader level. So we do think about diversity on that very broadest of scales, but then within that decided we could make most of our, we hoped to make most of the impact um, from, from founding uh, female founders. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And, and it's, it's so important, all of the aspects that you all bring to the conversation, because that is where we are in creating this meta, metaverse together, is this opportunity to have so many voices at the table to represent diversity on that really grand scale, you know, all areas, you know, uh, Amy, you talked about age, and that people don't often realize, like, eliminating people from a particular space, you know, similar to what Daryl said, you know, venues are 19 plus. And so in, in a online space, we now can have so many people experience these wonderful online concerts that wouldn't have been able to experience them before. Uh, so as I move into that, how is then, you know, we talk about diversity and then diversity as seeing many different types of people, many different uh, various age groups and able-bodied versus uh, differently able-bodied. Where does that go into belonging and how can that, how, what's the potential of that online? How can that be really thought about intentionally as we move into an online space? Um, well, for me, it's pretty clear in terms of, um, it's just, way easier to to get into a space um an online space than it is to get out and into a venue especially when you have physical barriers um I, and it it just makes me really happy to know because there, there there are people that literally can't doesn't matter they can never go to a venue and see live music it's just physically out of their their ability and so even having this online space um being created just opens up a whole new world them and that's fantastic and I, I remember when the pandemic started and everything sort of started shifting to this online um medium of of everything I personally was like yeah <laughs> I deal with a lot of chronic pain it's difficult for me to get out of the house and it's just made doing things like this um a lot easier for me I don't know that I would have been able to like if this was held in Ontario and then I'd have to take a flight and then all, all these things, I just don't know that I would have been able to take part. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it just, it just really, I think opens up a lot of the world. And I'm so, I mean, like silver linings of the pandemic, right? Because mm -hmm. obviously it sucks, but now suddenly everyone's like, oh, we can do this. This is actually not as difficult as we thought. And let's keep going and explore further what can be done. And that's just absolutely wonderful to me. Mm -hmm. I think a great example of that is um, the virtual Burning Man. I'm not sure if any of you have had a chance to experience no. it. It was, it's created in, uh, there, there were many of them, but the one in particular that I'm thinking of is um, on Altspace platform. And, you know, to your point, there's a lot of different reasons why people can never get there. But here was it, the, the possibility that now you could experience somewhat what it meant to be there, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying it's exactly the same as, 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 as it is in real life, but many of the aspects were duplicated. And in addition to that, you could fly, which you can't in real life. So, um, you know, just, I think virtual spaces and, you know, to whatever the extent the metaverse is, is gonna provide a lot of opportunity um, to participate and do things that we couldn't have done before. Mm -hmm. I would love to do that. I had no idea about that. <laughs> yes, look it up. It's actually I'm going to now. 
Robin, did you have anything to say? Like, honestly, I like to talk about race because I know the most about it, but all these different aspects of diversity are so eye-opening, like things that you didn't think about before. But like, then again, like just talking to people, like going out and talking to these differently abled people and talking to these different races and stuff. And I think that's like the biggest part of this is actually just getting experiences from people who experience different things and having their input and really putting in that effort, that individual effort or effort as a business to go out and seek people for their opinions. Because as an Indigenous person, I cannot speak for all Indigenous people. I may have a couple of good ideas here or there, but um, to have a group of people or a panel that actually has like more good ideas is really important. Absolutely, you know we're not we're not monotonous, and uh, and we are you know even differently able people. You know they experience things differently uh, depending on maybe where that injury is. You know, and similar to me being a black woman, I experience things very differently than other black women. So I think that's a Robin, you bring up a really good point. It's not about just going to the one person that you know that, you know, is is in this particular area that you're looking to gather more information about, but building panels and really that community involvement. Um, I have a question for you, Robin, you know, just on the backs of that, mm-hmm. you know, in some of these online spaces that we've already seen, and I actually just did a demo with a virtual space as we're planning an event, and everybody that was part of their demo in this virtual space was white. How does that, how, do, how does that make you feel, you know, what, what are your thoughts when you see that? Yeah. For me, that is kind of upsetting because me as a white person, I can fit in any space that I want to. I am comfortable in every space. But when you talk to a person of color, another indigenous person who isn't as white presenting as me, they don't fit in those spaces very well. It's not as easy for them to uh, maneuver in those spaces. And I think that's so important to talk about. But then like, there's just so many companies and stuff like that who could get so much value out of having somebody from a different point of view and they don't go out and do that and I think that like the hiring process and being able to make those spaces safer for people to want to join in are just so important like if I talk to somebody who is a different race and I address my white privilege they are immediately knowing that I on some level want to understand what they're going through and I think that that's super important but yeah for me it's just like I want to see that diversity so bad because there's so many opinions that need to be shared. There's so many ways that we can get rid of racism in these online spaces. Mm-hmm. If we just talk to people and are uh, like preemptively planning for these things to happen and proactively making strategies to make safer spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to throw this one to you, Amy. What is the, um, what, what's the downside if a company has does a demo and they haven't had community involvement and they do have a demo that they're showing to many different companies that only has one type of person or you know is not considering all of the the various areas of diversity fortunately what i what i've seen and experienced in um those that are creating this new virtual and, and augmented reality you know, working in those technologies is is a heightened awareness of um, inclusion, and and that's that's been great. Uh, a couple of examples of that is if you see somebody 
very frequently, if there's a panel of all one type of person, uh, it'll get called out or people won't join the panel or, you know, and frequently now, um, and I do it too, you know, please let me know if this is a diverse panel before I, before I speak on it, which is great. Um, at the, the, I, I can remember one backlash in particular. There was a company that was doing a virtual space and all of their avatars were white, but not only that, the male looking avatar was blue and the female looking avatar was pink. Oh my God. <laughs> it was the worst. Oh and um, and, and needless to say, like lots of people called them out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that was awareness. I, I also, but just also a real um, willingness to learn as well. Mm -hmm. I remember somebody pulled together uh, a conference for Stanford and the person that pulled it together was all men on the panel. And I just said, look, there's so many people in this space that are more diverse than this. I'm Next time I'm happy to help you. And they wrote this very thoughtful write-up mm -hmm. that I still forward today of like, here's the, here's, here's what to think about when you're creating a diverse panel and in, in this space and, and how to make it happen. And um, it's just, it's nice to see that there's some learning out there as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause there can be a backlash. And I think, you know, that's, that is the good side about our, our social media spaces too, is people will call you out. And the unconscious bias, we all have unconscious bias. It's about checking our unconscious bias, uh, especially when you know, we know this is front facing. We know that we're trying to be inclusive, but our unconscious bias has got the best of us. And then we only represent what we know or what we feel comfortable with. Um, okay, so then you know, that kind of leads into social responsibility, which is where I'm gonna take the conversation next. Uh, what is the responsibility of companies to ensure that there are spaces for everyone online? Well, I, I do think that a lot of that social responsibility allows companies to get positive attention. So just talking about that alone is super important in getting people to really want to commit to that social responsibility. But like me as a customer, if I'm going to be a customer to a brand, if I'm going to be a user of some platform, I, if I feel invited to take part in that brand, I will support them. And that goes for my body type, my race, my important causes that I value, my identity, as well as my financial situation. So those diverse factors are super important when it comes to that as well. Um, but like, I think that when we talk about social responsibility, like a lot of companies don't think of it as well, you're also doing your company a favor by allowing these people to take part in these things. Christina, were you going to say something? Um, honestly, no, I, well, okay. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I definitely think the responsibility is, is incredibly important. I think Robin touched on many of the, of the reasons why, um, and definitely as a consumer, we are looking now this is one thing that's really great um at least from the world that i'm seeing is that we are asking the questions when we look at um a product or a company like the first thing i do is i i look and see if it's eth ethical and and so yeah it's like robin said it's to the advantage of companies to make sure that they're seeing all these things not not just because, I mean, well, because of 
the moral implications, but let's be honest, businesses look at the bottom line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so let's talk their language. Um, the bottom line is we're not going to shop if, if they don't put that, up, if they don't include that, you know, what am I trying to say? The inclusivity, if, mm -hmm. they, if they're mm -hmm. not doing that. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's studies that we cite, um, from Deloitte Intuition and others saying that gender diverse teams are more successful than exclusively male led ones. And so from speaking of bottom line, Christina, like that right, right there, one would assume that more people would invest in gender diverse teams or, or you know, female founders. And uh, right now the investment is I think somewhere between 15 and 18%. Um, it's like 2% for, for exclusively female founders and then 15 to 18% with someone that with a woman on the leadership team. But that means, you know, 80% of funds is exclusively male founders. Um, again, that's just one gender is just one diversity lens, but there's, there's some numbers there on how, you know, we're seeing a shift and it is getting better while well, it got worse during the pandemic, but it's getting better again. Um, but, uh, but even with data that says they're more financially successful, it's, it's a slow shift. Mm -hmm. And why do you think it is? Why do you think it's a slow shift, even though the numbers show that it would be a, in their best interest to move this direction? I, th I think in part it's network. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, please go ahead. Uh, I think in part it's network, right? You're talking, people are talking to their, who they're used to talk to. Mm -hmm. and so from that perspective, I think, um, and again, Christina, like you were saying before, like virtual has opened up the ability for us to communicate more broadly. Um, Robin, you, you, you do international studies. So, you know, from a global perspective, we can, it's easier for us and more comfortable for us since mm -hmm. we're used to communicating virtually mm -hmm. to be able to connect more broadly now. Um, mm -hmm. so my hope is that network will shift, but I think that that's one of the, one of the reasons that, that the shift is so slow. Mm -hmm. Right. Christina, you're going to say something. Uh, I, I was going to just say people don't like change. People really mm -hmm. uh, struggle to move apart from what they're familiar with, from what they already used to. Mm -hmm. And it also doesn't, it involves some uncomfortable changes. It means that people who are in um, certain power positions are going to have to let those power positions go to make space for other, other people, other women, other able-bodied like all the um all the different other people mm -hmm. and you know there are definitely people who are not going to want to do that they don't want to give up what they already have um and so i think that that's part of the reason why there's um going to be a lot of pushback and a lot of hesitation and i think it's great to create more spaces newer spaces where we can kind of allow that to happen but yeah, it's, it is a slow shift. Um, and I think anything that that's this big is, is going to be a slow shift. And um, I think all we can really do is just keep chipping at the block, keep doing panels like this, bringing um, that, you know, education to other people, because it is a lot of ignorance. A lot of times people aren't even meaning to be like, they don't mean to be, yeah. <laughs> they just, yeah only know it that way. And so when somebody says, you know, a lot of disabled people can't even get on the stage. I, I was in a group meeting with that and every single able-bodied person just went, oh, of course, like yeah. 
oh, and they're nice. They're all wonderful, nice people, but that's just mm -hmm. the way it's been. So what's cool now is all those people are going to look, are going to think about that when they find stages, when they find places to work at, is they're going to think about who can, can come and who can join us on stage. So yeah, babble awesome. over. <laughs> no, that was great. That's great. And a, and a great example, because you're absolutely right. Um, in all equity deserving spaces, they're oftentimes that person isn't at the table. And when they're not, and it's until that equity, equity deserving person shows up at the table that people are like, aha, oh, <laughs> I didn't even think about it, but it's right in front of your eyes. I mean, there's only stairs going up, only stairs going yeah. down, but nobody yeah, or the people who are in those rooms aren't thinking from think a wider it. lens. Yeah, and it's neat for me because I, I've come from both sides. I was an able-bodied person mm -hmm. and now I have a disability. So I even have a, a level of forgiveness mm -hmm. because I know that a lot of people can get bitter about yeah. people who aren't who aren't um, there, but I have a level of forgiveness because I, I was one of those people mm -hmm. and it was kind of really eye-opening and shocking when I you know, was injured and kind of was recovering and realizing all the things that I couldn't do mm. and had taken for granted. And, or even something as simple as um, seeing somebody in a wheelchair stand up and assuming that they're faking it then when mm. that's absolutely not true. There are many people who can, yeah, <laughs> the shaking of that. But I was sad to say, I thought that's what it was because I just didn't know any better. And now I do, mm. that there are definitely people who, you know, use a wheelchair for longer distances or, or for whatever, but can yeah. still stand up and do some things. Um, so I have, yeah, a level of forgiveness for, for people who don't know, because when you don't know, you don't know. And all I can hope for is that when people learn that they take it at face value and go, okay, now I get it. And I'm never going to do that again. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. the other thing too. I had a job position with the, I was an Indigenous project lead for a little bit. And so my job was to make sure that the non-Indigenous people um, were, were available to learn about the Indigenous culture and try to um, change how their community works to help uh, bring in more Indigenous people, welcome them into spaces. And I experienced that a lot of people were scared. They didn't want to ask questions. They had a lot of fear, a lot of discomfort, fear of doing or saying anything wrong. And if I'm being completely honest, I would rather a stranger come up to me and ask me a, a real question from a place of I want to learn than just doing something wrong mm -hmm. and saying sorry later. Like if I had a stranger send me a DM on Instagram and say, hey, I was learning about this indigenous protocol, talking to an elder, whatever it may be. I am very willing to just say, here's what I would do here's some sources. Thank you for reaching out to me. I can see that you've made the effort to be better, to be more diverse. And I think that that's so important. Like you can just ask somebody and they will tell you a lot of people, they are addressing trauma. So some questions are a little bit more of a touchy subject when it comes to race specifically, mm -hmm. but um, there are people out there who just want you to ask so that you can be better so that your business can be better so that you can be better to other indigenous people, other races, disabled people, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Um, and as you say that, you know, let's talk about languages, you know, and the many indigenous languages, you know, many languages around the world, you know, how do we see that being, you know, what needs to be considered to ensure that the metaverse speaks to 
people from all over the world speaking very many languages. Well, I guess I can speak again from my experience with this job. Um, so when it comes to language options, I think about um, considering languages used in, on websites and social media. So being able to access these social media things with your native language or the, the language that you would like to speak, but also um, consider the language used on websites and social media that is more welcoming using cor correct pronunciation and language that is open to all. So not assuming gender, not assuming um, race, anything like that. And then I also had an experience recently that was um, using proper translation. So Google Translate is not your best friend sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you can't put a whole paragraph in one language and have it come out meaning anything in the next language. Um, and then when I was doing this job, we have something called treaty land acknowledgements, mm -hmm. which is basically a way to recognize First Nations, Métis or Inuit in a spe specific area. And it shows a lot of respect in honoring the first people whose land we live and work on. Um, so with those, it's really important to actually choose your own language and speak from the heart. Mm -hmm. um, so it's important to understand the purpose of the land acknowledgement and the purpose of whatever you're doing and use your best uh, knowledge to pronounce the special tribes or the special names and that kind of thing and really put it in your own words so that it does actually mean something. So not just copying and pasting somebody else's, but um, using your own words and understanding what you're writing before you're writing it. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I have a lot of hope that with, you know, as technology continues to grow, that this is a space that can continue to be enabled. I mean, if you think about things like faster processor speeds and 5G and um, the growth of machine learning and, and artificial intelligence, right? This, this is a problem that can be solved, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a finite problem of understanding languages and adding new languages and being able to translate from one to another. Um, it, it isn't always perfection, right? But we can get better. Mm -hmm. And um, with, with supporting technology, um, I hope that continues. And as you say that, you know, as we can get better, but it also depends on who is developing, mm -hmm. who you have at your table that is able to have a conversation about, hey, this is all in English. Not everybody speaks English. Um, and, and, you know, Amy, talk to us about the metaverse as you see it evolving and and what you see it as now because there are so many aspects of this ever-growing idea that's coming to be and and is pretty broad where language is this the language that you need to be able to access it may be English or maybe a barrier to you being able to or not being able to access it mm -hmm. it's an interesting question um as we were talking beforehand, your metaverse, in, from my perspective, isn't truly something that's defined yet, but mm -hmm. we, can, we can broadly define it as whatever sort of virtual digital space, how we'll be interacting in, a, in, in the new virtual space uh, that, that exists. Uh, yeah, language is really important. And the, the other place that I think about it is as we shift from keyboards and mouse, to wearing um, some sort of a, a wearable to interact and right instead of using our phones eventually it'll probably be some sort of glasses mm -hmm. um, you know ag again at that point it'll be hand gestures and voice that we use to interact most likely mm -hmm. um, and and language will become even more important so um, 
it's going to be a demand question, mm -hmm. right? As there is more demand or as someone sees a business opportunity, right? Maybe they'll become the, you know, there'll be someone that's better than Google Translate that becomes the official translators that would be some sort of open source. So it'll be easy for developers to integrate, right? Yeah. That's that in an ideal world, I think that, that that's the place that we would head towards. Yeah. I wonder if there would ever be a universal language sort of developed. Because like I, I was just thinking about um, sign language. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not completely universal, but there is a, you know, um, a general universality of some of the of some of the sign language that you can talk to somebody who would speak a different, um, you know, English language or, or I don't know what other language would do the same one. But if you were speaking, you would be speaking different languages. But if you're doing sign language, you're, you're doing the, the same one. So I don't know, I wonder if that would be a good thing or a bad thing to have mm -hmm. sort of a universal language join in this um, metaverse. If that was the case, it would probably be a, whatever is the current primary language and go from that rather than a language starting from scratch, because that's just too hard, <laughs> complicated. Yeah. But, and then if it's the, you know, the, the most used or common language, then that in itself has um, not, yes, barriers, but also, you know, this colonization, it, it takes yeah. you back to being forced to be learning or using a language that is not your official language or your your own native tongue, I should say. Yeah, and I love that there are some words in languages that aren't English that yes. um, that just you can't that that don't translate well, right? Yeah. I, I think yeah. I always think it's just uh, English is so really fun. limited. <laughs> um, yes and no, right? Like it is it is the it is the primary language that most people many people use to communicate. So from that perspective, it isn't. But but it's it's really fun to see and learn of words that don't exist in this language. Yes. So um, yeah, I I think again, and I'm a technologist my hope would be that we could use these massively powerful computing systems that we are continuing to grow mm -hmm. to actually just learn all the languages and help us translate and communicate so that they can continue to exist and we can continue to have our own primary languages. Yeah, I definitely love that. I think that that would be better. I think that would be, um, be really cool. Um, final question just before I get into some question and answers. Um, for each of you, what is the, what would you ideally like to see in these online, virtual, and avatar-based metaverse spaces? You know, what is, what comes top of mind to you when you're thinking, this cannot be forgotten? I'm going to jump in. Empathy. Mm -hmm. Great one. I think for me, it's just the ability to keep people safe. There's so many ways that people can get um, racism, prejudice, those kind of things. And there's so many people who love to hate on other people. Mm -hmm. And there needs to be a way to control that because people direct their anger in different directions and are terrible to somebody online. And that's, right. to me, that's just human nature. And it does need to be um, built into the system before it's a public thing. That's beautiful. I love that too. Um, I think for me, it would be like open-mindedness 
and mm -hmm. somebody there that's actually trying to include everyone like mm -hmm. there's like a job where the person's like i'm going to search out every <laughs> every single could be mm -hmm. and make sure that they're included um but then also an open-mindedness of the people and just trying to like yeah. kindly let and, people know sorry sorry I, I didn't mean to cut you off oh no that's i, I was done oh. uh i notice and that every every thought there was something that protects us or makes us live or makes that heartbeat it's feeling um, and being able to translate that into an online space, keep us safe, um, be able to be open-minded, remembering that we are all people and that's the connection point here. So being able to be empathetic on in these spaces is going to um, really be a win. And, and I'm sure that developers and technologists like Amy um, are working a lot to make sure that unlike some spaces now where there are prejudices you know baked in and woven into the algorithms that we come out of this in a much better space um all right so i'm going to move on to some questions and we have a, a few here uh, this is from ivan who says, what do you think is the current biggest revolution in diversity and inclusion for the online world? Hmm. I don't know, maybe awareness. I don't, I don't know, I'm not quite sure what the word revolution is. Mm -hmm. Asia, do you, I mean, I'm kind of curious if you, if you have a response. Oh, to the you question. You haven't had I a asked? chance to answer any questions. <laughs> I'm just supposed to moderate and ask yeah. questions. <laughs> no, but it's it's also it's great to get your opinion yeah. as well. Um well, I would steal all three of your answers, first of all. Um, and I didn't have time to think about, but I would definitely think um this humanness, you know, for us to really ensure that there is an understanding of people and uh, various ways of thinking, you know, and not everybody has to agree, but we have to respect each other when we disagree. Yeah, I think that goes a lot with like accountability too. like the online space keeps people accountable mm -hmm. and it keeps people learning what they can improve on. And some people might believe, you know, it, oh, everybody just hates on each other and whatever. But if it's something that people need to learn, or they need to adjust in themselves, like learning to, in, to be more toler tolerable to different um, ideas and stuff like that, then people follow through and they let you know. And that's sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. But to me, I think that people have a lot to learn. I have a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. um, right now I'm working on uh, learning more about the LGBTQ community because I'm not involved in that one. Mm -hmm. um, so I welcome people correcting me and learning about that kind of thing. And um, online space is kind of a, an okay place to do that, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Continual learning. Um, the second question is, oh, and in terms of revolution, I didn't actually get a follow-up as to what, uh, what he may be thinking, but if we look at revolution, maybe it's um, the, the biggest technological advancement 
that is different than you know, when uh, when other when other platforms were created not having that lens. Um, Sean asks if bigger venues or promoters gave their full support to give diversity and inclusion to their lineups, would it change the smaller shows to book or accommodate more? Or would it start with the artists who are being booked first, i.e. would bigger venues have an, or what, could people think about having an inclusion rider? You know what, 100% for me. I think I'm a musician and if I'm an indigenous musician, if I get booked at a big venue, it's gonna be easy for me to book at a smaller venue. So mm -hmm. just being able to um, put myself out there and be able to do um, something bigger will influence how I can book a lot more gigs to come. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that they would have a huge impact. And for artists, it's not easy for us to go to a venue and say, hey, I'm good. Here's my business card. Hire yeah. me. Mm -hmm. But like somebody needs to put some faith in you and say, OK, we'll give this person a chance for this show and see where it goes. So I do think it does rely a lot on like people that book shows, people that have the venues mm -hmm. to go out there and find diversity and then hire them and really make a statement by doing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Christina, as a, also as a creator artist, do you have any comments there? Um, I agree with Robin, um, and I wasn't entirely sure I understood the question, but essentially it can only do good things for to have people um, recognize the changes that they can make on bigger venues and smaller venues, mm -hmm. um, and that um i just it i think it would really i don't know it would develop the music scene in ways mm -hmm. we're not really aware of right now mm -hmm. it would just bring a whole new crowd of people out who can actually do these things that haven't been able to before um so i'm not really sure you know it's hard to predict exactly what would happen um i know for me i i mean i would love to be in a big um 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 venue because that's just who who doesn't want to do that as an artist but at the same time the smaller venues are really really fun they're the intimacy of it is is really great and if we are able to make sure that the space is um available to everyone um yeah that would that would make me really happy mm -hmm. And, I think, and then like, oh, sorry, sorry, Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm taking an even more like selfish, oh, I own the business kind of perspective as well. You're now opening your business up to a totally new demographic. Mm -hmm. If you hire a black artist to do a performance on your stage, you're going to bring in more people yeah. who identify with that artist and they are going to like your venue and they're going to keep coming back because you support their people. And like the same goes for all different diverse groups too. Yeah. Absolutely. And I was going to, I was just going to chime in and say, you know, this is kind of like what Amy is already doing. You know, when she's asked to sit on a panel, she's asking about, you know, the diversity of the panel and, and that could make or break her confirmation or, you know, her attendance at, at the event. And I think as artists, creators, uh, people within the industry, that's almost like our social responsibility is doing a check-in and saying, hey, who else is gonna be on the stage? Um, have you considered, sometimes you know, 
I'm always throwing out suggestions to people. Um, and oftentimes, you know, it came up earlier in the conversation, sometimes you just don't know outside of your network, you know, and so when I'm invited into a space, sometimes I'll say to the conference, hey, if you'd like, I can take a look at your programming, and I can give you some opportunity, uh, I can give you some suggestions of people who would love this opportunity. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's even happening, you'll see call outs at that festival level, right? Mm -hmm. Coachella or whoever puts out their their festival list and people will call them on whether or not there's diversity in their in their lineup. Um, so yeah, I think um, pointing it out and and being aware of that is is one step in the right direction. The conversation, yeah, is very very important because otherwise it would stay stagnant. Like nobody's mm -hmm. yeah. why would it change? And it, and it would be, and it would stay stagnant because it lives in bias and prejudice. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like Robin says, oh, you know, a black performer. Well, if you have this prejudice of what black hip hop brings to your venue, you're going to be very fearful of an event that could happen in this space where if you understood the community and, you know, location and what you bring to the table, now mm -hmm. you're building community relations. So there's, there doesn't need to be that fear. That is so well said, for sure. I agree. Uh, all right. Our last question is from Ian, who asks, as an event promoter, what are the top steps I can take to promote diversity and inclusion? Well, like, go oh. ahead, Amy. Oh, thanks. I mean, your point earlier is exactly the right one. If you're the if so first to have an awareness of diversity and know that that's important to you. Right. And then and then if you can't find the people that you're looking for. Right. If you can't find a diverse go outside of your network, reach out to people like if anyone ever needed a spokes of a, a female or even kind of diversity in XR, you know, VR, AR people for panels, you let me know, because, you know, because I know a lot of them. And so I think just going outside of your own personal network, starting to build networks through other people, because they have their own is, is the first step. I would agree. Um, and trying mm -hmm. to find groups that, because um, usually there's a lot of groups, there's groups for everything now where people kind of get together and um, like in Vancouver, we have Vancouver Adapted Music Society. So if you wanted to get to know that, we would be great to talk to. And I don't know if there's necessarily those, those specific kinds of things, but maybe even just on Facebook, there's going to be groups of people, musicians and, and that sort of thing. But definitely, I fully agree with Amy, go outside of your um, current space and yeah. ask around. And make exactly. sure just ask. we are there. Yeah. <laughs> we just exactly. might not know about you. <laughs> yeah. Great exactly. question, by the way. So thank yeah. you for asking it, whoever asked it. So that was a great question. question. Yeah. So thank you, Ian. Um, well, that's all. That's the that's the last question. That's a wrap. Um, you know, I want to thank you, Daryl, for uh, inviting me to moderate. And I would personally like to thank Amy, Christina, and Robin for participating in this conversation with me. Thank, thank you. you so much for having us. Pleasure to be here. Amazing. Uh, I, I really took a lot in on this session. I got to say, as an event organizer, online event organizer now, uh, one, it was a big learning curve to go from, you know, 18 years of doing it all in person to trying to do it online. Uh, and, and if I could share, like, we've got a bit of time. Uh, there is, I've got so much going on in my head right now uh, after this talk. Uh, 
one thing to note, I, I really do believe about a lot of this is we're dealing with people first. And I think that that's the first thing, uh, you know, everybody is a person. And I think if you start with that, uh, that becomes more of a level playing field. And, and the other part about it, these types of events is I, I, I learned a lot over the, I'd say probably the last eight years, traveling and experiencing different events and going, oh, that works, this doesn't work. Uh, oh, look at how they did that. And I think experiences by actually participating, and I've been saying a lot, participate, you have to participate. And a lot of this resonated with me as, as the, the discussions uh, was going on. And if I could just share a couple of things. Uh, one, it is Black History Month. Who's looking it up? Who is checking into what does that mean? And, and uh, I, I wanted to share like uh, music has been my life. And uh, my guitar teacher was black from Southern States. So it had a huge impact on how I approached music. Uh, and I went on a trip because I was really, you know, the path of music to me was Memphis, Nashville, New Orleans. Uh, it's just ingrained. And uh, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, I'm a big foodie. And uh, we were traveling down and I was like, oh, got to find barbecue. We're in barbecue land. And I ended up in Montgomery. And uh, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, there's this mural that you cannot miss. And it's the, uh, I had to write it down, Legacy Rights Museum. And I'm there for barbecue and I see this. And, and uh, after we eat, I had to go back to it and learn more about it. And there's this family walking by, really dressed nicely. You know, it's like a family outing. And I asked them, what, what is this? What does this mean? And they invited me in. And uh, there's another part, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. You can, if you're not moved by seeing this, it's, it's crazy. And uh, I saw them again at that place and they pulled me aside and said, so what do you think? And so we had a really heart to heart conversation about what does this all mean? And to sort of think about the history of where music comes from, how did we get here? I always, if you've heard me on some of the other sessions, reflect to know where we're going forward is, is how I try to look at it. And, uh, you know, I ended up looking up, you know, the, the guy I was talking to online and it's like, oh, he knows Oprah. Oh, he was like a former mayor. Oh, he, he's a pretty big deal. I had no idea who I was talking to. So I learned a lot. And, and uh, so anyways, what I, what I really try to tell people and what we try to promote is do the work in trying to investigate, trying to learn. And I think that that's, that's how we can communicate a little bit more on playing field. Took me a long time because I was naive. I'll be honest, I was very naive. Uh, my goal was to be a guitarist in a band. So it was very much, how do I get my music played? How do I get on that stage? How do I, and it was me, 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 a lot of the times. And going to conferences, I learned culture. I learned, you know, I go to a conference in Brazil. I learned about what happens in Brazil. I go to uh, other conferences. And uh, this, is, this is a bit of, a heart one to me too. Uh, uh, I was at the Indigenous Music Awards. I found this yesterday. Uh, and that opened my eyes. I saw, I was in my first uh, circle and I saw my first powwow. 
And uh, that led to, at Indie Week, we had our first Indigenous activities. We held a panel. We had a closed meeting where we brought members of the Indigenous community, but with funders so that they could talk openly and in a safe place and, and find out what are the barriers to funding for Indigenous activities. And, uh, you know, uh, as, as you were saying, you don't know what happens. Stuff is still happening. Uh, I had to reach out to Thor, uh, producer Thor, and ask, you know, we're building this panel and, and who would you recommend and such? And, uh, you know, Thor has since had Chris Burkett produce artists. He's had songwriter camps and uh, uh, the Downey Wenjack Fund is now has, has their materials access across Canada, uh, all from those activities at that Indie Week. So all I say is everybody is a person, start there. And we're all on the same playing field, regardless, and try to do the work. And, and, and I think uh, you got to ask awkward questions. And I, I've been in that place where it's like, oh, do I ask that? I don't know. But talking to that family really told me a lot. So, and Amy, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I reached out to Amy on LinkedIn because I'm following her feeds and stuff and it's awesome. So, so anyways, uh, just to wrap, it's, those are the kinds of things. And as a result of us doing these online spaces, I've learned a ton. I got to say, we had no idea, nothing. Like uh, when COVID hit, we lost everything. Can't do our festival, can't do our conference. We were doing uh, live performances after every home Maple Leaf game. That was a big contract. We lost that. We, we started simply with a one hour discussion every week and people showed up. We couldn't pick which person is going to show up. It's they're the ones coming. And, and we learned a lot about our audience there. And that's where it's like, wow, you're 17 years old. Couldn't come to anything before. 75 year old songwriter is learning and, and motivated. That's exciting. And another one that a lot of people don't think about, uh, somebody messaged me privately saying, I have a fear of being in public. And by being on Zoom, I'm, I'm able to attend your events. So, so it's been completely mind blowing. That's why I'm super excited about this online space. And uh, someone said it yesterday, it's almost like right now is the start line of moving forward. And we have the opportunity right now uh, to build something amazing. You've been listening to the Indie Weekly Podcast. Be sure to visit IndieWeek.com for all the information on the conferences for 2022. Screen by screen, music and tech in February. Indie 101, music and business education in May. Music Pro Summit, high-level music industry insight from professionals in September. And Indie Week brings it all together in November. Thanks for listening.